0: the message is, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus, of course, is the resurrection and the life. We're going to unpack this this morning. Start reading verse 21. If you're there in your Bible, say, "Amen." Amen. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, listen to that. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in Me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to Him, Yes, Lord. I believe that You are the Christ, the Son of, the, of God, who has come into the world. And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, The Teacher has come and is calling for You. As soon as she heard that, She arose quickly and came to Him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met Him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying, She is going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw Him, she fell down at His feet, saying to Him, Lord, if You had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, "Why, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man, who opened the eyes of the blind, also have kept this man from dying. The resurrection isn't just an event on the calendar. The resurrection and the life is wrapped up in one person, Jesus. Jesus is the resurrection. Our hope is found in one figure who has changed the world for all of eternity. And it is that man The God-man Christ Jesus. And we are going to unpack this truth. Because of this truth, there is hope beyond the grave. I'm going to say that again. Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life, there is hope beyond the grave. (laughs) Amen? We pick it up where we left off last week. Martha made her way to Jesus. We learned about Martha and Mary, who, of course, they were the sisters of Lazarus, and Jesus had a relationship with them, unique relationship. He, he loved them, and often when He'd come to Bethany, He'd retreat into their home, and they had, of course, uh, they, they had a love for Christ, and, and, and they loved hosting Him, and and Martha, of course, we learned last week, she was the worker of the bunch. She she was a busybody, and and sometimes to her own detriment. And and uh, but Mary, we know, she uh, sat at the feet of Jesus. She was more of the worshipful worshipful one, contemplative one. And and uh, of course, when Jesus made his way finally to the region, Martha heard of it, and she made her way to Jesus, and she's going to now have her faith reinforced by Jesus. Jesus is going to speak into the very situation that they are facing, the loss of Lazarus. And I want you to just see this from the very beginning. Jesus engages her and this is what Martha says to Him. I want you to notice with me Martha's statement of faith. Martha says to Him, Lord, if You had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, this is a statement that I believe was uh, was 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 indicating a faith that Martha possessed in her heart she said Lord if, if you would have been here now we see in this statement that she lacked a little understanding and let's be honest all of us lack some understanding when it comes to who God is and what he is doing we have not arrived not any one of us in here has it all figured out when it comes to God but uh, her statement showed that she thought that Jesus, in a sense, was limited to heal only those who he was in close proximity to. And we know that to not be the truth. We know that Jesus, on, on accounts in the in the Gospels, he spoke the word of healing. He spoke uh, simple words, and at that very moment... Uh, sickness had to leave at the name of Jesus. And, And he could do what no other man could do because he was omnipotent God. I want you to remember that this morning, who you serve. You don't serve a God who is limited. You and I don't serve a God who has to stay within the parameters of our understanding. He is beyond what we could comprehend. And what he's going to show Martha shortly is that death, Though through all of the ages since sin came in the world and death reigned, death would soon be conquered by none other but the champion, Jesus Christ. It's hard for our human minds to comprehend the power that Jesus has. And uh we're gonna do a little review. Of course, we started this series back in January of twenty twenty-one, and so we're two years into this now and and um we were we were reminded I was reading it this week in my study. Uh John 1 1 in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. I want to just unpack that for a moment. In the beginning was the word. That means he had no beginning. I want you to see he, before the beginning, Jesus predates the beginning. <laughs> he is eternal. I want you to understand that. This is the part about God that none of us can wrap our brains around. He never had a beginning. He was always there. He was always the Great I Am. He always existed, and he is the he is the uncaused cause of all the universe. Do you grasp that? No, we can't. (laughs) My kids ask me how how does that work, and I say I don't know. I can't explain that to you, young. Young woman, young, young young man. But let me tell you, it is the truth of the word. In the beginning was the word. But I want you to see it goes on. And the word was with God. We sang it a moment ago. We believe in the Holy Trinity: God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They are. They are, of course. All God, they are equal, but they have different, um, and I, I hate to use this word, but somebody's going to email me about it, but they have different expressions, and, and <laughs> they have different um, roles within the Godhead. And, and I want you to understand that word um, Elohim in the Old Testament. It speaks of pr- plurality. Uh, let me say that word plurality. It speaks of multiplicity, not multiple gods, one God, but there's plurality within the Trinity. You understand that? I'm getting deep this morning a little bit. But we really don't understand how that works. (laughs) We know that God is a spirit. We know that there's the Holy Spirit and there's Jesus who has a literal body. Remember, Thomas felt his literal body. as as, After he resurrected, he put his hands on his scars and and in his side. uh, Jesus has a literal body right now in heaven. And he's seated on the throne like we sang a moment ago. And He has all honor and glory, and it's due to Him and Him alone. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And that just reinforces the fact that Jesus, of course, was God in the flesh. He was God the Son. He was also the Son of God because he, of course, was born. He was born of the Virgin, as we celebrated a few weeks back. He was conceived by the Holy Ghost, and he was come forth. He he came through the birth canal like you and I, but of course he didn't uh, he didn't have the same sinful nature like you and I because he was in fact very God from the moment that he was conceived. Martha didn't quite understand who she was talking to. The power that he held in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I want you to see verse 3 of John 1. It says, All things were made through him. And without him was made, nothing was made that was made. Jesus is the primary factor in creation. I want you to get that in your, in your, in your, in your mind, everything that was created, every principality, every angel, every human, every planet, every star, everything that we see, every creature that crawls on the earth, every uh, fish that swims in the sea, every bug that crawls, you know, in, in your room, I'm telling you, Jesus created every single one of them. The visible and the invisible things. So you tie that with Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. He's talking about Jesus there. And I, I just want us to just grasp who our Savior is. And it goes on, it says, in Him was life, and the life was the light of men as Creator. Of course, we know that He breathed the breath of life into, the, into Adam, Right? And to, uh, Eve as well. And, and, and we are, of course, image bearers. We are, we are creations of God. And, and, um, and this speaks to, of course, Jesus in, when it comes to life. He is the, the life. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He is life. But he's not only life, he is light. Verse number five. And the light shines in darkness. And the darkness comprehended it not. The light shone in darkness. Jesus, Emmanuel, He came with us. He was on this literal planet and He walked among us and they didn't comprehend Him. They didn't understand who He was. And Martha didn't quite comprehend everything about Jesus at this point, but He's going to reinforce her faith and He's going to respond to her faith. I want you to see Martha, of course, makes the statement She continues on talking to Jesus. If you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But I want to see verse 22. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. But even now, I want you to just just observe the faith in that statement alone. Lazarus had been in the grave for four days. His body had begun to decay And, and and she was looking at, of course, Jesus and saying, hey, even now, even now, Jesus, I believe that whatever you ask of God, He will give you. He will do. I have faith in you. I believe that you are the one, Jesus, who can make a difference in this situation. I want you to just marvel at that faith. What gets God's attention the most in our lives? It isn't your strengths. It isn't your biblical knowledge. It isn't your abilities. You know what it is? It's our faith. How much do you believe God? Have you ever prayed an even now type of prayer? God, even now, even this situation that I'm in, it looks completely dead and hopeless, but even now I believe that you can do something about this. Even now you can have my prodigal come home. Even now you can touch my body and heal me. Even now the doctor has giving me that diagnosis. I believe you have the final say because you are the great physician. Even now my situation isn't beyond your scope of ability. I want you to just hear the faith in that. How many of you have some even now prayers that you need to resurrect today. Oh, maybe I'm preaching to myself. Even now. Oh, there's great power in those types of prayers. That's faith. Just faith of a mustard seed can move a mountain. And our faith is, is sure when we place it at the feet of Jesus. He's the only one who can do something about the Seemingly inconquerable death. And this is what she's saying to him. Yes, I was a little disappointed that you didn't make it in time. But my faith is not rattled. Oftentimes, when life hits us, we allow our faith to get rattled. But I want to encourage some of you, Let let the trials and the storms and the refining not destroy you or rattle your faith, but rather reinforce it. Believe God for who He is, no matter what you're facing. I believe God is able, even now, to do what we can't even comprehend. Unto Him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above what we can ask or think. We can't even comprehend what our God's power is capable of. And what we've got to get back to being is a people who believe God so that we can run into the battle with that reassurance that, God, You've got my back, and I trust that You're able to do what I can't comprehend Thank you, Lord. Martha's statement of faith, it did something in my heart this week. As I saw that, she said, even even now, Jesus, you're the miracle worker. You're the promise keeper. I'm not just some cheerleader up here. I'm preaching the truth of God's word. I'm just telling you, but I'll be your cheerleader. Hey, I want to encourage some of you in here to start to pray some even now prayers. I want some of you to leave here with just a little bit more steel in your spine, a little bit more faith in God. Oh, I was talking to a man earlier in the service today a few years ago. He he was hopeless. He he was separated from his fam from from his his daughter and and he would not be allowed to see her and, and and just this morning, he came up to me and he showed me the pictures of how he was able to go and visit his daughter and how he's reconciling with his with his woman. They're going to get married and he's going to have a family. And God did that. He didn't do it. God did that. And I'm telling you, what kind of God do we serve? We don't quite comprehend what He's capable of. Oh, He is awesome. He is wonderful. He, he, he is beyond our comprehension. And Martha's faith was in a good place with Jesus. You're in good hands, like all state says, when you go to Jesus. <laughs> Amen. I want to see Jesus responds to faith. You want to move heaven? You want to see God do something? Have some faith in Him. Exercise some faith in Jesus. Look what Jesus says to her. Verse 23. He says, Your brother will rise again. Jesus declares victory. Your brother will rise again. He will live again. And this is the second time that Jesus reveals this. In verse number 11, He revealed to the disciples, Hey, Lazarus is asleep. He's dead, but I'm going to wake him up. (laughs) I I just... I'm going to wake him up. He's been dead for he he's been dead for a while. But I can just imagine that he's just casual about it. Jesus is just like, I'm going to wake him up. <laughs> oh, the power. He assures her the victory. I'm going to tell somebody else today, if not just only myself, that guess what? If you're in Christ this morning, you are assured the victory. You're on the winning side. We fight from a position of victory. Hey, if you knew you're gonna win the lotto, that that Mega Millions lotto, if you knew if you played it you would win it, would you go play it today? <laughs> yeah, all of you guys would be lined up. I'm gonna win. You'd be going to Vegas too afterwards. Like, hey, but let me tell you something. Jesus has assured the victory for us. You know what, church? We see our culture going to hell in a handbasket. But you know, God has already assured us that the gates of hell will not prevail against His church. So we should be on the offense, not the defense. Hey, I'm a, I'm on the offense. Last week I had a friend from the gym who, who, who I've been working on. He was sitting right over here last week and, and you know, how many of you guys know that church is a lot more fun when you have a guest with you? Somebody who you're trying to, you know, see saved or, or or come back to the Lord. I'm telling you, that did something for my spirit. I preached a little harder in the second service than I did in the first. To be honest. <laughs> Let me tell you, I'm still in the office. I'm still, I'm still looking for sinners. There's no, there's an abundance of them. I mean, you'll never run out of work to do. Why you're this side of eternity? And I'm telling you, because I know what Jesus has promised me. He said, "You have won the victory." He told me uh, back in 2007 when he called me. He says, "Hey, I'm gonna make you a fisherman." You know, I was thinking about this week. I never would have imagined. Morgan, listeners, I never would have imagined that I'd be, I'm, I'm driving in my car on Saturday and here comes the sermons on the radio, right? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm here, I'm at Black Angus with a young man from this church and we're sitting in a server. She says, oh, Pastor Abram, uh, I've never seen her day in my life. She said, hey, my dad loves you. He listens to all your sermons. And he loves Pastor Shane too. And and Pastor Shane baptized me two years ago at Jet Hawks. And, and, and man, I'm just... I never forget that. I'm telling you, I never would have imagined, but I'm telling you, uh, God reminded me this morning, hey, I called you back in 2007, and you remember what I told you? He told me that he was going to make me a fisher of men. He told me that he was going to put me in a place where I could throw out the nets and that souls would come in. And I'm thankful right now, I'm so grateful to him that what he's promised, he will do it. And he is capable to do whatever he promises. Oh boy, maybe it's just me. He's, de- he's declared the victory and I haven't been perfect. I messed up along the way, but God's grace is sufficient and I'm thankful for my God that he has, he allows me to fight from a position of victory. He says to Martha, your brother's gonna rise again. He declares the victory. Oftentimes we comfort people who have lost a loved one and we say, you will see your loved one again. Of course, we are sincere in that. And we want to bring comfort to them. And that's the truth of of the resurrection. That we will see our loved ones again. That we will be reunited with those in Christ. But when Jesus was saying it here, He wasn't talking about some far resurrection on the last day. I want you to see what Martha says. She says, to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. So she's thinking about the, the last day. Now the Bible does speak about that last day. There is coming the day where the trump of God will sound and the dead in Christ will rise. And those who remain will also be snatched up in a moment. We, the, the literal, I believe, rapture. Um, and I think that there the movies in Hollywood are trying to uh, desensitize people for what's going to happen. They're going to say, Oh, an alien invasion <laughs> took, you know, millions of people from everywhere in you know. the You guys have seen those movies Left Behind, you know, pilots flying and just the clothes there, you know. And uh, <laughs> they're going to do everything they can to try to keep people deceived. But I believe there is coming a literal rapture. When God is going to call us out of here who remain and and those bodies that are in the grave will be raised up to be uh, given that glorified uh, heavenly body. Now the Bible is very clear. We talked about this a little bit last week that uh, when a believer dies, it's transitional. There's separation from the body. I've always noticed this at every funeral. I've been dozens, of course. The body doesn't look the same. That doesn't look like your loved one. You know, they dress them up, of course, and try to give dignity to the to the deceased, but it's just not the same, you know, because what's what's no longer there. The the body is just a shell, but the part of us that is eternal is our soul. That makes you who you are. That's the God breathed part of every one of us. And when we get saved, when we trust Christ, what gets saved? Our soul, not this flesh. This is temporal, and God's gonna re re. Recreate us, I think is the word for it. He's going to fashion. He's going to take this dust. You know, when we go to the grave, when we decompose, He's going to raise up that body. And some say, you know, some teach that you know you shouldn't get cremated. No, God's going to find every speck of that and make it into what He He determines. And um, but there is coming the day when that last that trumpet will sound. The angel. The voice of an archangel, the Bible said, and every corner of the earth going kind to of hear it. And I think, and, and in every Christian's body that's in the grave, their, their body is there, but they are of course present with the Lord already at the moment of their death. It's going to be raised up and made new. Jesus debuted that that new body that's going to be flesh and bone. There's going to be no blood in that new body. It's going to be uh, a perfect. Uh, example of, of, of humanity. It's going to not have any flaws. It's going to be able to uh, live like God intended for eternity. And so, we look forward to that. Jesus is teaching this tomorrow. He's going he's gonna to talk to Martha and explain to him something, though. She's speaking about the last day and the resurrection that is to come, but Jesus is speaking to that very moment. In just a few moments from this verse, Jesus is going to call Lazarus up from the dead. And uh this is what Jesus says. I want you to see. He declares that He is the resurrection and the life. Look at verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in Me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in Me shall never die. Do you believe this? Now, Martha, she isn't wrong with what she said. There, there of course, will be that last day in the resurrection, but Jesus was speaking to that very moment. He was going to raise Lazarus from the dead because he is the resurrection and the life. Of course, he is going to be the one doing the resurrecting in the end, right? And he already had all the power and authority to resurrect anybody from the dead at that moment that he was before Martha. He has eternal life. Remember what he told Nicodemus? Nicodemus who came at night, we call him Nick at night. And uh, (laughs) he shows up. He's ashamed. He doesn't want the other Pharisees to know that he's he's inquiring to this teacher, this Jesus. and, And what does Jesus say to him? He says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life or eternal life. He told this to Nicodemus. He said, you must be born again of the water and the Spirit. Of course, he's speaking about salvation. We don't believe in this church that in baptismal regeneration, you don't have to be baptized. I see always in Scripture that salvation preceded baptism. If you believe, then you can be baptized. And that's what we see in Scripture. But some take that verse and, and and, and mis, I think, misappropriate it to that. But what Jesus was saying is that you must believe on me. You must put your faith in me, Nicodemus. And then I will give you eternal life. I will give you everlasting life. Jesus possesses eternal life. As I mentioned a moment ago, at the end of this physical life, this body will sleep. But our spirit, who our soul, who has been redeemed by Jesus, will go to be with the Lord. It is transitional. And and that's why we don't have to fear death as a believer. We can uh, hold to the truth that we have eternal life. And I want to tell you this morning, and remind somebody in this room this morning, oh, when you called on the name of Jesus, when you placed your faith in Him, He gave you eternal life. You possess it right now. So at the moment that you pass on, you will be in His presence. Amen? Amen. Talk about hope. He is our hope. He says, I'm the resurrection and the life. He he explains it to her in a way she can understand. He goes into it. He says, he who believes in me. Now I want you to think of belief in this way. Um, a lot of people in the world believe in God, right? They have intellectual, uh, you know, acknowledgement of God, right? But do they place their faith in Him? Their eternity in Him? Let me tell you this. The last time you got on the plane, did you just put one foot on it and then you held your, your, your the rest of your body out the window? Or, or the, the, No. When you got on that plane, you sat in the seat, right? You put your seatbelt on, uh, you listen to the instructions and, and, and you trust it. You put your faith in that pilot that he had gotten enough training, that he had gotten enough sleep the night before, that he knew the route, that he was ready to fly that plane. You put your life in his hands, right? I'm telling you, this is what that word believe is, is saying. That's what faith truly is. You place your eternal, your, your eternity on Jesus. Say, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know if I were left to myself, I would be damned, uh, separated from You in a literal place called hell but I'm trusting in You, Jesus, and that finished work on the cross. I'm trusting that the blood that was shed on that cross is sufficient for God to save me, to give me eternal life. And when a person places their faith, they don't place it in Jesus and the church. They don't place it in Jesus and their baptism. They don't place it in Jesus and their good works. They place it in Jesus and Jesus alone. And let me tell you something about Jesus. Jesus saves. Jesus saves Jesus stays this morning. Him and Him alone. Jesus plus nothing. This is what He was saying to Martha. He who believes in me. Though he may die, he will live. And He goes on, verse 26. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Of course, He isn't speaking about physical death, but He's talking about spiritual death. Our souls will not perish. I was thinking about that word a lot this week, perish. Those who reject Christ will indeed sadly perish. Now, we don't believe in obliteration or or completely non-consciousness as the world will try to get us to believe, we believe what the Bible says in a literal place called hell. Where the worm doesn't die, the Bible says. Where there is fire and brimstone. Where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Where there is no hope, no relief. And I was listening to a sermon this week and You know, one of the terrible things about hell is that the addict who's addicted to heroin or crack or pornography or whatever it might be, that Adamic sin nature and addiction doesn't leave them in hell. They still crave, but they're not able to, of course, to to indulge in the sin any longer. Hell is, a, is beyond what we can comprehend and it's very uncomfortable to, to think about. It. I don't understand everything that comes with that sobering reality. But let me tell you what, while there's breath in our lungs, we should be warning, warning people of the judgment that is to come. What did he tell Nicodemus? Jesus says, He who believes not is condemned already. Have you ever seen somebody give their heart to Christ and they're like, A weight was lifted off of me? Oh, I've seen it. I didn't even realize I was carrying, I was under the condemnation and the heavy hand of judgment that was looming. I think it was Jonathan Edwards who described a sinner unrepented before a righteous. God as a spider hanging over off a web over hell's fire, dangling on that that little of a string. It's nothing to to mock or to play around with. And you and I have heard people mock it and say, "Oh, I'm going to be in hell. I'm going to be partying with my friends. I don't want to go to heaven. The party is going to be funner in hell." No, my friends. No. I think one of the things that God did early on in, in my ministry was give me a healthy understanding and a and a, and a burden for the loss, and, and it came, I, I believe, through uh, studying the Book of Revelation, studying uh, Gehenna in the Bible, and, and the words of Christ when He talks about uh, a hell. You guys know that Jesus spoke about heaven and hell more than any other subject. You say, I know what some of you are thinking. Well, I don't want to serve an angry God who wants to throw everybody in hell. No, the Bible says that hell was not created for man. And He isn't willing that any should perish. But that all come to repentance. I'm telling you, the reason why... We as Christians must warn others of, of hell and the coming, looming judgment for those who reject Christ. Is because you don't know you need a savior till you realize what you are, where you stand before a righteous and holy God. We want to preach a message with no bite behind it. We want to, we, we want to uh, just sugarcoat the truth, and people can take it or leave it. No, my friends, you can't take it or leave it. It's either life or death. And if I told you that you have a brain aneurysm that's going to pop today and, and if you don't get to the hospital in five minutes and get the blood thinners in you really quickly that you won't see another day, you know you'd be speeding 120 miles per hour down that boulevard. Why is it that we as Christians don't have the same sense of urgency when God gives us audience with people who who need Jesus? Jesus, He declares that He is the resurrection and the life. He, he tells Martha, hey, <clears throat> I am all that you will ever need. I'm the one who will raise those in the last day, and I'm about to raise your brother right now. And he asked her a question, and he says, Do you believe this? At the end of verse 26. Do you believe this? And let me tell you, that was a heaven or hell question. Because if Martha's faith wasn't rested solely in, in Jesus... And She wasn't redeemed. She didn't have a relationship with Him. We know she did, but I want you to just ask yourself this question: If I were to die today, where I, where would I spend eternity? Have I placed my faith in Christ? In Christ alone? Do I have the assurance that I will be with Jesus in eternity? If you can't say that with without doubt, now I want to encourage you today to get it settled to call on Christ, to open your heart to Him. He, he loves you. He proved it when He went to the cross for our sin. He, he took the punishment that we deserved. He became sin who knew no sin so that we might be made the righteousness of God. And I want to encourage you today. Don't, don't tune me out. But, but open your heart if you need Christ today. Jesus declares to be the resurrection of life. And I want to see lastly this morning. Jesus responds to the grief that He sees. I want you to read with me beginning in verse 28. And when she had said these things, let me back up. (laughs) I want you to see her confession of faith. Verse 27. And she said to Him, Yes, Lord, I believe that You are the Christ. The Son of God who is coming to the world. I want you to see Martha's confession of faith in Christ was threefold. She said, I believe you are the Christ, the Messiah, the the long-awaited Savior. I believe you are a Messiah. Then she goes on and says, I believe that you are the Son of God. Now in that culture, a son, especially the firstborn, had all the prerogatives of the Father. And he was equal to the Father. So what she was saying there was, I believe that you are God. I believe that you are the Son of God, but that you are God the Son. She was uh, 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 asserting his deity. And then she goes on and she says, you are the one who has come into the world. You are he who God sent. You, you, you're Emmanuel, God with us. Her confession was 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 very circumspect. She, she covered all the bases. Jesus, I don't want there to be any question where my faith is. It's in you and you alone. And I want to encourage us. Let us be that, ready to give an answer when those ask of the hope that lies within us. Why do we believe in Christ as our Savior? And we can explain who He is. He's God in the flesh, who was sent into the world, prophesied by all the prophets in the Old Testament, he lived a perfectly sinless life. He took that sinless perfection to a cross to die a substitutionary, sacrificial death for our sins. And He made the atonement. He paid the penalty for our sin. And because of that, when we place our faith in Him... God is righteous to give us uh the standing that only Jesus deserves. He is He is fitting to give us uh the, the robe of righteousness that really only uh should be given to Christ. He exchanges our sinfulness for His holiness, and I'm thankful today that I stand here redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Anybody else thankful? <laughs> And I want to see Jesus' response to the grief. Look at verse 28. And when she had said these things, she went away and secretly called Mary her sister, saying, The teacher has come and is calling for you. And as soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to Him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the the town, but was in the place where Martha met Him. Verse 31. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, When they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying, She is going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled I want you to see Jesus responds to grief. First, he requests to see Mary. Of course, they had a very close relationship. He says to Martha, hey, send Mary. And I think Jesus' desire was to have a private conversation, as he did with Martha, with Mary. Uh, I think he was going to do the same thing for Mary they did for Martha, and reinforce her faith and let her know beforehand that he was going to do something miraculous. He was going to raise up Lazarus from the dead. And, um, of course, I love how Martha says, the teacher is called for you. I think uh in that time, rabbis did not have women as disciples, but, of course, Jesus broke the mold. Jesus is not concerned with male or female, Greek, or, or or Jewish or it is all the ground is level at the cross, Amen. And so he goes and he he requests for Mary to come, and Mary comes, but the the, the mourners, the, the 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 those who are grieving with her, follow her to where Jesus is, and um she says the same thing that Martha says: "If you'd been here, Lord, my brother would not have died." Jesus, verse 33, he sees them weeping. He sees her weeping, of course, and he sees the mourners with her weeping. You see, and it impacts Jesus. The Bible says he groaned in the spirit. He was troubled. And I want you to just think about this. The Greek gods of the Romans, they are often portrayed as cruel, uncaring, uh, you know, deceptive, no emotions. Um, but Jesus often displayed emotion. He cried over Jerusalem. When He saw the people who were scattered abroad like sheep without shepherd, the Bible says He was moved with compassion with them. And this displays that Jesus loved the people. Uh, he, had, he was connected to the, the their grief. And uh, our God is something else. He's not like the God of the Quran, who who is deceptive, who never says there's nowhere in the Quran where you'll see Allah loving anybody, saying He loves anybody. But all throughout the scripture, you'll see the love of God. You'll see God in pursuit of us who go astray. You'll see that God is love. You see, He is the He is love. He's the framework. He, he, he's the one who embodies love. And that's why we're we're made in His image. We are We are with the capacity to, to love and, and to show care. And, and it's because we get it from Him, our Father. And I just want you to see the picture here. Jesus groaned. It says it was deep emotions. He was deeply moved. The Greek word could also be translated that He was angered. Now some... Some commentaries said that Jesus was angry over the unbelief that was being displayed by the mourners. I don't believe that to be the case. I believe that He was angry. He was upset. He was bothered because He, he, he was looking straight at the work of Satan who had brought sorrow and death to people through sin in the world, he was seeing the the effects of sin in the world, and it grieved his spirit and How many of you guys are are there right now I'm grieved as I watch the way that our culture is just becoming more and more depraved, perverse. Uh, you know, I hate to look at the news, I hate to see. People send me things, and I I saw that there was a a whole busload of teenage girls from uh, from out of the country with no papers, no way to track them, no way to, to to have any idea how to get these minor girls to 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 safety. Human trafficking is skyrocketing. You want to know why? It's a big deal that our borders are just wide open right now, seemingly. It is bolstering. It is emboldening these human and sex traffickers. It breaks my heart. I know it breaks God's heart. The stench has reached his nostrils. We are ripe for judgment. Jesus, he's disturbed. Because he is right now in conflict with Satan. He is right now uh, the champion. He he is, of course, going to destroy him shortly down the line. But I want you to see he, he's in he's deep within the conflict. He's seeing the effects of sin, death, and what Satan has wrought in our world. And um I believe that's why he wept. Look at verse 35. Jesus wept after he saw the tomb where they laid him, after he saw the end of sin, what it has led to since the beginning, since the garden, but he's going to make a difference. (laughs) God's plan was never to have death in the world. God's plan was to that we would live in communion with him in perfection. It was never his intention but of course, he gave us a free will, and man chose sin, and that brought death in the world. And so Jesus was angry about that. He was upset. He, but I want to see every time that Jesus was stirred. If you look throughout the Gospels, every time Jesus was troubled or stirred or or, or, or you know had compassion, he always did something about it. It's not enough just to have a little feelings, little emotional response for a minute. Jesus always moved to action. I not want to tell us, that's what's missing in the church a lot of times. We get grieved, we, we, we get bothered, sometimes anger, righteous indignation, but then we don't even pray about it. Hey, if all is well in your house, you know you can still show up at 6 a.m. prayer because of what I just told you. That little girls are being trafficked under our nose with our tax dollars. I'm telling you, we are funding abortion worldwide. Hey, if that was the only two things I said to you, that's enough ammunition to come in the pray in the morning. But we aren't moved enough. We're going to go into our comfort. We're going to go home to our 3,000 square foot. We're going to sit on the TV and we're going to be numb to death until, until you die and go to the heaven and stand before God. With no rewards. Hey, you say, Pastor, you're always saying, I, hey, I've preached enough funerals to know it's coming. So Jesus, He did something. He's going to show me where He's laid. And, and we're going to see it in the next week. And we're going to finally get to the point where Jesus calls him up. And uh, I'm excited for that message. But I wanted us to see Jesus, He wept. It wasn't some emotional display. You see, there was two different words for crying. He saw them weeping and the word that in verse 33 of the, of Mary and the others with her, their their cry was different. It's a different expression of that word. Theirs was a wailing. Theirs was a big emotional. I know so many Christians, like I say, we get emotional... But there's where it ends. Jesus his weeping was the opposite. It was quiet, and it was calculated i think I think he's he's crying because like i said he was he's he's bothered, but he's going to do something about it <laughs> he was He's going to raise lazarus and and I want to just tell us this morning. Hey, it's if not now, when When are we going to do something about it? When are we going to get serious about prayer, fasting, seeking God, being a witness, discipling our children, uh, leading our home? Men, when are you going to step up? Hey, you can hunt, you can fish, you, you got guns, you're a big, bad, tough dude, right? But what was the last time you prayed with your kids, you taught them about Jesus, when you witnessed in front of your kids, when you told the waitress... Hey, 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 I'm giving you this tip. I just want to bless you, but I want to tell you something about Jesus. I'm telling you, where are those men and women today? Where are those who are serious about the kingdom of God? Because there is coming that last day. There is coming that day where we all will stand before Jesus.